From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. What to do if your child gets married and you are a minister? Well, you bust your buttons and you officiate at the wedding, of course. Well, what if it's a same-gender marriage? No difference. I officiated at my daughter's same-gender marriage over the Thanksgiving break. It's what proud dads and moms do. So it was a no-brainer for Reverend Frank Schaefer to officiate at the wedding of his son and his son's partner six years ago in Massachusetts. But there are rules in the Methodist Church, Reverend Schaefer's denomination, against officiating at same-gender weddings and holy unions. Six years after the fact, he was taken to church trial and found guilty of disobeying Methodist discipline. He was given a 30-day suspension, a timeout to think about it, and come back to church officials with his hat in his hand and say he wouldn't do it again. If he couldn't, he would have to give up his ministry. This is his career, his livelihood. He spoke to me about his situation and the agonizing decision he faced on Religion for Life. Welcome, Reverend Schaefer, to Religion for Life. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad uh, that you took time to be uh, on the program with me. I uh, Googled your name, Frank Schaefer, and when you do that, you find uh, news reports and articles and interviews. You have been uh, in the spotlight these uh, past week or two. Um, how, how is that going? How has that been for, for you and your family? It uh, was very unusual uh, for us to, to be in the spotlight like that. We never expected anything to happen like this when in 2007 I performed the wedding for my gay son Tim uh, because it was a very private family affair. Uh, we had not advertised it. Uh, we had not made it public knowledge. It was, a, it was an affair which was really uh, the highlight of the year for us. Uh, it was a beautiful wedding between two people that are committed and loved each other very, very much. Um, and it uh, was held in a restaurant uh, in Cohasset, Massachusetts, about 300 miles away from my church. I never advertised it in the church. Uh, I did let my superiors know that I was going to do this wedding. And also afterwards, I shared that I had done this wedding with them. But I decided not to tell my congregation because I'm in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, where uh, quite frankly, at that time, uh, you know, this area was very conservative, uh, and I knew it was going to be very divisive. And so I, I sort of decided to be the best pastor I could be for my congregation here in, in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, um, just trying to be a shepherd to these people, and I, I knew that that wasn't going to help my ministry here. So I, I sort of kept that a secret to my congregation and went on ministering for about six more years before somebody in my congregation uh, found out and uh, they actually, that's what the story is, uh, traveled all the way to Massachusetts to to get this, this certificate with my signature on it and uh, filed a complaint against me. That was just this year back in April and that's what started this this whole craziness of the trial. And, uh, yes, so the short answer is no, we never expected anything like this to happen. And uh, yeah, so, so this congregation that you currently serve was the congregation you were serving uh, when you officiated at the wedding for your son, Tim. 
Yes, that's the same congregation. I've been a minister here for 11 years now. 11 years. So how is your congregation responding? Well, initially, there was actually a lot of good support for me. Uh, there was a congregational meeting back in May uh, in which many, many of my parishioners uh, stood up and uh, voiced their support for me. Even those who who are on the conservative side of this issue and are not necessarily for gay rights uh, still said, well, well, but it was his son. And I would have done the same thing for, for my child. So there was a lot of support back then. However, that started to change when now I was asked questions on where I stood on the issue of gay rights and so forth. And, and of course, I've always been a silent supporter of my children and, and uh, LGBT members in, in general, but I've never been outspoken and I never really let my congregation know where I actually stood on the issues. And so now that I was asked, you know, I wasn't going to lie, and I, I told them that I supported gay rights and that to me this was a social justice issue and that there was nothing wrong in my view with being homosexual because I didn't believe it was a choice, but that's how God created people to be. Some are gay, some are straight. You know, it, to me there's no difference. And, and as soon as I started to, you know, to basically <laughs> come out, uh, on those issues uh, to people, and then later on, also when it got into the press, uh, that's when I lost more and more support also in my congregation, and it became that divisive issue that I had anticipated it becoming, you know, should I ever share about my theology. But you've been there for 11 years, so uh, the Church knew your family, I assume. Yes, actually, they, they did, and uh, and and to that extent, um, I was uh, aff affirming of, of people that came in and they knew about my family situation and, uh, and that I had gay children. And, uh, and so when, whenever, you know, lesbians, gays, transgendered, bisexual people came into our congregation, I, of course, welcomed them with open arms. And, uh, and it was quite interesting that over time, um, our, our congregation actually became more and more accepting of, of gays and lesbians in particular. Um, and that was, you know, I attribute that mostly to my openness and my ministry, uh, you know, to the community. So your congregation welcomed openly gay people into membership? I wouldn't say that everybody did, but uh, for the most part, I can say, yes, they did. And they surprised me. I mean, there was... There was one you know, story I also shared at the trial, you know, when I described my ministry there at the church. Um, there was there was one young lesbian lady who started attending with her family, with her partner, uh, and uh, and of course they they really embraced myself and uh, and our church because of my open stance and the, and the the open stance of the congregation, especially our contemporary service. Uh, one Sunday, um, when she was back from the hospital um, after suffering a couple of strokes uh, at her young age, um, she came back to the service. This was her first time back, and she still had some trouble with movement, especially in her legs. Uh, she literally had to say out loud the command step for her brain to process 
the command and actually for her legs to to follow this command and and you know to take a step um it was so important for her to be in the service and and take holy communion that sunday that she made her way all the way to the front all the way to the altar area uh, saying the word step each step of the way and when hmm. people in the congregation saw that and some of them you know were very conservative i saw a lot of tears and sobbing and afterwards i i heard people say you know what who am i to judge i i saw the desire to take communion and to be close to god in this lesbian person and it changed my mind and changed my views on things so those were the kind of things that we experienced in our in our you know rather conservative area and conservative church and and our our church especially our contemporary service became so open and welcoming. Uh, I w I'm so proud of them. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, uh, my name is John Schuck, and my guest is Reverend Frank Schaefer, a Methodist pastor in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, who was uh, recently uh, put on trial for officiating at the same-sex wedding for his son and his partner six years ago. Uh, someone in your congregation found out about this, so he files the, the court case. Uh, so what happens? what happened then? Well, um, after he filed the, uh, the complaint, I was approached by the bishop and I had a consultation with her and then there was a, a reconciliation attempt between the complainant and myself. Uh, the condition, one of the conditions, one of four conditions, uh, was that I would sign an agreement never to do a gay wedding again. And uh, I, I just couldn't sign that. Uh, for one thing, I have uh, three gay children, all in all. Out of my four children, three of them are uh, homosexual. And, uh, and of course, uh, I, I could have never signed it just for them. But also, in general, I, I just uh, always you know, said to my wife and my family, you know, if, if somebody from my congregation would ask me, if a gay or lesbian couple would ask me to perform a marriage or a union, union service, I just uh, could not say no because of my theology and my my conviction that, that this is a right that should be extended to all you know and, and anything else is is really discrimination and I just won't stand for that so you uh, and so since you wouldn't agree to that so then it had to go to church trial is yes that, that uh, then it had to go to church trial and uh, and the council for the church was appointed and a uh, presiding officer, a judge, uh, was appointed, uh, a bishop from out of state, from, from Florida. And uh, so then uh, I think it was about, uh, it was in July when I, when I first got the official judicial charge, as it is called in our congregation, in our denomination, and uh, was charged officially by the church. And, and from, from that point forward, uh, the trial was inevitable. Um, and so uh, I, I started to uh, to do some fundraising. We had a benefit concert, um, and we had a, a couple of prayer vigils, uh, you know, to sort of bring attention to to this to to our church and and to uh, Christians in general. And uh, and so that actually was part of the reason why you know this became such a big story in the news. Um, 
because all of a sudden, you know, reporters showed up. And, and I remember at one of the benefit concerts, uh, uh, local TV showed up. And, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I was, uh, I found myself in the limelight um, of, this, of this controversy. And this limelight uh, had some influence on you too, didn't it? Did it? Did this kind of make you um, more of? Uh, as, I don't know if activist is the right word, but certainly more public about your support for lesbian and gay people in general. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you're right on that. I just uh, did not foresee this happening or plan on this. But what happened was that I I went from a silent uh, supporter to the an outspoken advocate for LGBT members of our church and in general. Um, and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I feel, you know, God sort of took all my excuses away because of, over all these years, I, I kept saying to my wife and my children and, and God, you know, but I do have a responsibility to be a shepherd, a pastor to, you know, to these people of my, appointment and i you know I, I i see this as very divisive and i i just can't speak about my views openly and uh you know one by one all those excuses were taken and it seemed like uh i had received a new calling from god you know to be a, an advocate and so i embraced that role and uh and i have not looked back ever since you know, uh, as you're speaking, I also, of course, am, am a minister, and I'm when thinking of those roles of of being a pastor as also also a prophet. Uh, those two aspects of of ministry itself, and they often find themselves uh, in 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 tension with each other. Uh, when when do you uh, need to be a pastor to the congregation, and when is doing that enabling prejudice? And when do you need to uh, stand up for what you think is the gospel and what is right? Yeah, that is that is exactly right. You're you're hitting on a good point there because part of part of my thinking right now is too that I did I did feel guilty about not speaking up during those six years or even before. Uh, you know, yes, I was a silent supporter, but you know, I look back and I I. I can definitely see how I felt guilty at times, you know, for for not speaking up and not taking that profit role, you know, that that would have been also so important. And and one of the biggest regrets I have is is looking back over time and thinking, you know what, maybe had I spoken more openly, you know, I could have saved somebody in some life in the congregation, some some you know preteen or or teen uh, sitting there going through the struggle, the same struggle that my son went through, my oldest son, Tim, who, uh, you know, had suicidal thoughts over this issue uh, during his, you know, identity crisis. Uh, you know, how many lives could I have saved or touched and and changed had I had I spoken? So that is really one of my regrets that I have now. And I, I never want to go back to that. I, I always want to be an outspoken advocate now for, for all homosexual, uh, transgendered, and bisexual people. I think uh, you've touched on an issue that many ministers feel, uh, who I, I know many of my colleagues uh, who are in congregations in, in which doing so will put them and others at great risk, uh, and, and yet they, they feel this tension as well. Um, 
So with um, so at at the trial itself, you eventually uh, there, there was there was quite a bit of support uh, at at the trial, and and you had to be examined, I suppose, and witnesses and all of that. Yes, absolutely. It was just like uh, an episode from Law and Order. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, you know, there was a there was a judge and uh, a prosecution, and uh, of course my defense team, and and uh, there was a jury of my peers uh, made up of all. United Methodist pastors from my conference, and there were witnesses and uh, expert witnesses, and so there were uh, opening and closing statements and and so forth. Uh, so it was quite interesting. I've never been a part of of anything like this, especially not in the church. Um, and so it was it was interesting to see, you know, how official all of this was in a sense. I you know was actually in one sense really really impressed by you know what the church you know does in in this regard i mean there is this saying that says that says uh, you'll get your day in court and and in some sense i i felt you know this was a good experience because i got to share my motivation and my conviction with people uh, and i was actually hoping uh, especially after the first day when uh, the jury deliberated on you know my guilt or innocence I, I actually thought there was a chance they might acquit me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember saying to my attorney, uh, or my I have two counsel, the, the clergy counsel and a and an attorney, and I, I remember saying to them as we as we ate supper that night, while the the jury was still deliberating, I, I said, how how likely is it that I get acquitted? Because I really believed that there was a possibility I would get acquitted. That you know, my colleagues really hurt me and my struggle, and and uh, and and they they seemed to think it was very unlikely, and they were right. It turned out that uh, I was found guilty on both counts, and that was uh, that was certainly very disappointing to me. Now, what are, what are those counts? I mean, what did you what were actually are you guilty of doing? Well, there is a provision in our uh, church law which we call the discipline, the book of discipline. Uh, paragraph 2702 that uh, clearly states that United Methodist ministers are not permitted to perform uh, gay marriages or or unions. And that one I, I did expect a guilty charge on because it's just so clear. Uh, however, the second charge was um, just a more general charge in terms of violating the order and discipline of the United Methodist Church as a whole. And on that count, I thought, well, surely they're not just going to look at that because there was there was so much testimony also in terms of you know my other ministry and how successful of a minister I was, and I I thought that you know all of this would be taken into account and 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 at least I would you know would be acquitted on that charge, but they found me guilty on that charge too. And so and then the punishment for that was. Uh, 30-day suspension. Tell us a little bit about what what that means. Yeah, that was very surprising to me, to be honest, because um, on that second day when it was about the determination of the penalty, I decided to be very, very open and honest with the jury. And I informed my my counsels ahead of time and my family. And I said, look, I, I just prayed over this and I know I just have to do this, even though this will likely lead to my defrockment. Uh, so I, I addressed the jury 
in the witness stand and I said to them, look, if, if I'm going to be a United Methodist minister tomorrow, I want you to understand that I will not refuse ministry to anybody, you know, based on their sexual orientation. I will, in fact, be an outspoken advocate for the LGBT community in our church. Um, I can no longer be a silent supporter. I will be an advocate. And I need you to know that before you deliberate. And as a, as a symbol of my commitment to the LGBT community, I actually took out a, a rainbow colored stole uh, that I had in my jacket pocket and I, and I put it on me, uh, you know, for them to see that, mm. you know, this is who I am now. It was a, it was a, a very honest moment. It was a very difficult moment. Um, actually, Right before I did that, right before I took the stand, I felt sick to my stomach. I was just so nervous and, and I wasn't sure whether I was able to, to go through with this. I was just, my, my stomach was a knots and I felt so weak at that moment. Um, and as I sat in the stand, yeah, I actually sat in the stand. That was nice. Uh, there was a chair. Uh, I looked over to my family and my councils. I, I looked into the into the crowd of people that, that was gathered. Um, I'd say probably about 80, 85% of the people there were supporters and they had some sort of rainbow colored stole or, or other symbol on their body. I looked at them at all of them. And, and at that moment, when I looked at them, I felt strength coming into me. I, I knew I wasn't standing alone in my statement. Uh, and so I had the courage to, to make that statement to the jury and, and, and that was very difficult, but I, I got through it and the words came out just right. And, uh, and when I sat down, I, you know, I, I felt the support of my counsels and they said, well done, Frank, you know, that, that was very moving. That was wonderful. Frank Schaefer, my guest, he is a Methodist minister from Lebanon, Pennsylvania, uh, found guilty in, in Methodist discipline for con- officiating at the wedding for his son and his son's partner six years ago, uh, found uh, found guilty, sentenced to a 30-day suspension, and then following that 30-day suspension, which you are in now, uh, you will go again before the court and be asked if you will uh, abide by the discipline. Is that, is that where you are now? That's uh, that's for the most part correct. Uh, now the the jury uh, appointed the um, board of ordained ministry, you know, to follow up with this. Uh, so it's not a reconvening of the court itself, but uh, the board of ordained ministry um, has been charged to meet with me. And uh, the actual charge is interesting to me. The actual penalty is interesting, especially in the stipulation that I uh, am supposed to think about how my new calling to the LGBT community uh, can be reconciled with our book of discipline that clearly states that I'm not supposed to perform any gay marriages. Uh, And if I can't uphold both of those, if I can't fulfill both of those uh, commitments, then they asked me to surrender my credentials. Now, another stipulation was that I will have to do this in writing, have to write a written statement uh, to the Board of Ordained Ministries and also um, be interviewed by them. So that is going to happen uh, in the middle of this month. And, uh, you know, 
I will have to really make a very, very hard decision. Um, as you know, I, I cannot go back on my commitment. I mean, this is a conviction I hold. This is based on my conscience. Mm -hmm. I do see, I do see paragraph 2702 and other passages in our book of discipline as clearly discriminatory mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and out of touch with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I will have to continue to, to say to the world and to the ordained ministries, uh, committee that I will not be able to say no if somebody should ask me to perform a gay marriage. Um, at the same time, um, I love being a minister. I love being a United Methodist minister. It's, you know, it's been a, a good journey for almost 20 years for me, uh, with the exception of, of, of this one provision in our discipline. I really love the United Methodist Church. I mean, we're doing so much good. And in, on other social issues, you know, we're so progressive and, and, and so much in line with the gospel. You know, I wish I wish it could be changed, you know. And, uh, and so this is very hard for me. I'm, I'm very split. I'm very torn. You know, this has been, United Methodism has been our tradition, our family tradition, our way of worship and our connection, our spiritual connection for 20 years. And uh, it's going to be a very, very hard decision. We're just just about running out of time, but do you think the Methodist Church is going to come around eventually on this? I mean, I, I think that your action and your bold stance, and I know you've said you felt kind of guilty for not being bold before, but I have to say I'm I'm honored to talk with you about your your boldness right now and what you've uh, and what you've said on behalf of the LGBT community and and behalf of human beings in general. I, I admire that, and many of my listeners, uh, I I am confident are as well. So they look at the Methodist Church and they're thinking, man, this is a backward place. Um, and I'm not just the Methodist, the Presbyterians, too, uh, on this issue. Uh, do, do you think these denominations are going to move ahead, and do you think your action will help that? I definitely think that we'll see a change within the next, you know, 5 to 15 years. Um, I am disappointed that there hasn't been more movement especially within the United Methodist Church on this issue. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that in 20 years from now, you know, there won't be total acceptance uh, and, and that the church will revise, you know, this doctrine and apologize like, you know, the church has done before in the past on issues like slavery and uh, women and the clergy. Uh, so there's no doubt in my mind that it will change. You know, we're, I think we're on the right side of history for sure. Um, whether what I did, uh, you know, will have a, a great impact. I, I think it already has had a tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. in, in, if I can judge that by the responses I got, you know, hundreds of emails, letters, cards, Facebook messages. Um, but um, I think, I think, in the uh, grand grand scheme of things, uh, you know, what my witness was was really only you know one step, one little step um, of the way. Um, and I, I expect there to be many others that will carry the torch and, and uh, you know, really point out to the church that we must change. Frank Schaefer, thank you for your witness and for your time uh, with me today, and, and all the best to you in the tough decisions that you have to make. Uh, thank you for being with me today on Religion for Life. Thank you so much, John. After this interview is recorded, Reverend Frank Schaefer met with church officials on Thursday, December 19th. He said he would not voluntarily give up his credentials, and he would not discriminate against gay and lesbian people.
He said, I'm actively committing to having those discriminatory laws changed and banished from our book of discipline. That's the only way I can reconcile being United Methodist at this point. A church spokesman said officials decided to defrock him. Reverend Schaefer is no longer a United Methodist minister. My name is John Schack, minister at First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Find more information about Religion for Life at religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. Be well.